Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy of this. We're going to talk about him today. <laughs> Seems like we talk about him every week, doesn't it? First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A policeman pulled over a guy for speeding, and the following conversation ensued. The policeman said, may I see your driver's license? The man said, sorry, I don't have one. It was suspended when I got my fifth DUI. Policeman said, well, can I see your registration for the vehicle? The driver said, it's not my vehicle. I stole it. Are you telling me this is a stolen car? Yes, sir, that's right. But but now that I think of it, I believe I did see the registration card in the glove box when I put my gun in there. There's a gun in your glove box? Yep, I put it in there after I robbed that drug dealer of 500 pounds of cocaine, then I stuffed it into my trunk. You have 500 pounds of cocaine in your trunk? Yes, sir. Well, the cop heard this. He immediately called his captain, and within minutes, the car was surrounded by police. The captain approached the driver so he could handle the tense situation. The captain said, sir, may I see your driver's license? The driver said, certainly, here it is. It's, and it was a valid driver's license captain said, sir, who owns this car? He said, I do, officer. Here's the registration for my car. Well, sir, would you slowly open your glove box so I can see if there's a gun in there? Yes, sir, but there isn't a gun in there. And sure enough, when they opened the box, there was no gun. He said, would you mind opening your trunk? I've been informed you have 500 pounds of cocaine in it. No problem, officer. He opened the trunk and there was nothing in the trunk. Captain said, sir, I don't understand any of this. The officer who pulled you over said you told him you did not have a license. You had stolen the car. You had a gun in the glove box, and there was 500 pounds of cocaine in the trunk. Driver said, yeah, and I bet he also told you I was speeding, didn't he? (laughs) Not everybody tells the truth. And surely by now you have learned what a scam is on the internet, 
or an email. There is no one in Ethiopia going to send you millions of dollars over here. But you know, it's incredible to me how many people are fooled by scams. Well, I want you to know there's a lot of spiritual scams going on also. One of the most dangerous forms of modern Gnosticism is seen in the philosophy that started in the last century, the, the, 20, the end of the 20th century, is called postmodernism. It's a popular way of thinking these days. The idea that certain spiritual claims are true and certain spiritual claims are false is narrow-minded and it's ignorant. That's what people say. And they say people who embrace postmodernism don't believe in absolute truth. This mindset says that all spiritual views are simply different roads that lead to God and that Christianity's claim to be the only road is intolerant. Now, it's significant that in the midst of all of this that John is writing, when he gets to this part about what is truth and what is not, it's right in the middle of a passage that deals with love. Because I want you to know that all kinds of false religions and cults today really focus in on love. We need to love everybody. We need to love all, all viewpoints and so forth. Every deviant group, every false movement makes its appeal in the name of love. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to love people, but that's all they focus on. We're just going to love people. There was an article in Christianity Today by Tim Stafford about a pastor who does an introductory course on Christianity to people who are seeking the truth. These are lost people, lost people that are interested in knowing about Christianity. And he starts his class by doing, he puts a big jar of beans up there and he gives everybody a card and he said, I want you to guess how many beans are in this jar. And everybody writes down a number. And then he said, I also want you to write down the name of your favorite song. Takes up the cards. He tells them how many beans are in the jar. And of course, all of them are trying to decide who's the closest one or who, who got closest to the, to the nearest number. It was a definite number. And then he asked this question. Now, which of the songs that you wrote down is closest to being right? And of course, the class answers, well, there's no right answer to a person's favorite song because favorite songs are simply a matter of personal taste and preference. And then he asked that group of seekers, he, he said, when you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is it more like guessing the number of beans in the jar or is it like choosing your favorite song? And every time, he said, the majority of the class responds by saying, deciding what to believe is more like choosing your favorite song. That's the influence of postmodernism in our world today. It's a way of saying that there's no one truth. Everybody picks their favorite truth. And of course, when you think about it, postmodernism actually is a self-refuting claim because to say that anyone's spiritual truth is just as valid as everyone else's spiritual truth in itself is, it just cancels it out. 
You can't have two truths that contradict each other and both of them be true. Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross. Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. They both can't be true. So John is reminding Christians of spiritual scams, and right now, as an old apostle writing to second and third generation Christians, he's saying, there's a bunch of heresy coming into the church, and don't you fall for it. Don't believe it. So he begins by giving a command to be spiritually discerning. Verse 1 Beloved, first of all, he's talking to Christians because Christians are the only ones that have the capacity to evaluate what's true and false spiritually. You have the Holy Spirit living in you and he will teach you all things. He gives a couple of criteria. He he says something about this command. First of all, he says, stop trusting when skepticism is good. Did you know it's sometimes good to be skeptical? In fact, it's a present active imperative. He is commanding us, stop trusting everything you hear. Skepticism can be good. The same test every spirit speaks about teaching. It's the equivalent. The tense indicates that many members of the early church were swallowing just about anything that was being taught them. And some were believing false prophets who said their teaching was a revelation from the Holy Spirit. But behind every prophet is some kind of spirit, not a demonic or I'm not talking about an angel or a demon. I'm talking about the attitude or what they believe, the spirit. And true prophets speak the spirit of truth. From God's word. He mentions the spirit of the Antichrist, which is falsehood. I want to read to you. I'm going to go one block to the left to 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything I say. Test it. Stop. Don't just trust me because I'm so good looking. Well, that ought to tell you something right there. I know he's lying. Don't don't trust me just because I've got a big group here. Don't trust me because I've been here 30 years. When I preach, don't just take it at face value. Look at the word of God. Be a skeptic, not in a sense that you're skeptical of God, but just because somebody smiles big on television and has a gigantic group following him doesn't mean that he's right Stop trusting everybody. If it's in print, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. The second part of the command is to start testing. When scrutiny is good, present active imperative. An imperative is a command. Present means continuous action. Always test. And the reason to test is because there's so many false teachers in the world. Satan has counterfeited so much 
And the word testing here, dokimazo, means you're testing metal for genuineness and you're really expecting to approve it. You're not just doubting everything. I I want this to be true, but I'm going to make sure, so I'm going to test it. There was a young engineer dating a girl and wanted to get married, but he had an opportunity to go to Ireland for a couple of years. Could make a lot of money. His girlfriend lived in Tennessee. And of course, they both wanted to get married. She was going to work for two years. He was going to Ireland to work for two years. They would save their money. When they got back, they were going to get married, put a down payment on a house. After a couple of months, she began to get a little worried, thinking, well, you know, he's a single man over there. There's a lot of pretty ladies over there. And she began to wonder, is he being true to her? And she asked him, and he said, well, you know, I I admit sometimes I'm a little tempted, but I fight it. I'm keeping myself for you. So in the next mail, the engineer opened up a little package. Inside was a harmonica. And she had a note that said, I'm sending this to you so you can learn to play the harmonica and have something to take your mind off of those girls. So he wrote her back and said, thank you for the harmonica. I'm practicing on it every night and thinking of you. At the end of the two years, he gets back to his company in the United States. He jumps on the first plane to Tennessee. Her whole family was there when he got off the plane. And as he rushed forward to embrace her, she held up a restraining hand and said, before there's any kissing and hugging, let me hear you play that harmonica. (laughs) You may have heard the expression, face the music. He's got to face the music. They actually believe that that began in Japan many years ago when a well-to-do, wealthy businessman wanted to be in the orchestra that played for the emperor. He didn't know how to read music. He did not know how to play anything. But because of his influence and his wealth, the conductor said, I tell you what, I'm going to let you sit in the second row. I'm going to give you a flute. And sure enough, he would sit there and he would pucker his lips and act like he was playing that flute and move his fingers. He couldn't read music. He didn't make a sound. It went on for two years. A new conductor came along. He wanted everybody to audition. This man got nervous and he pretended to be sick. However, the doctor was ordered to examine him, declared that he was perfectly well, so the conductor insisted that the man appear and demonstrate his skill, and shamefacedly, he had to confess that he was a fake. He was unable to face the music. In the realm of Christian service, in the realm of Christian teaching, there are many professing believers who go through the motions but they're only pretenders. There are a lot of people who one day are going to stand before the judge of heaven and earth and their deception is going to be revealed and God will separate the phonies from the real. No one will be able to hide in the crowd. Each one is going to face the music. Deuteronomy 18.22 says, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. 
That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So how are Christians supposed to tell if somebody's telling the truth? You need to be like the Bereans. Acts 17, 11 says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You don't test it with your feelings. I feel like it's okay. You test it based on God's word. He then gives some criteria for spiritual discernment. What is the criteria? William White was the editor of Emporia Gazette. And he was all the time getting a lot of possible articles that people wanted printed in his publication. But most of them he returned their manuscript with a rejection slip. One disappointed and bitter person wrote back to White. He said, sir, you sent back a story of mine. I know that you did not read it because as a test, I pasted pages 19 and 20 together. And when I got the manuscript back, those pages were still stuck together. You're a fraud. White wrote back to him. He said, dear madam or dear mister, at breakfast when I taste an egg, I don't have to eat it all to determine if it's bad. This principle comes true when it comes to belief systems. You don't have to examine every single belief to find out if it's true or false. If the teacher or the preacher or the belief system denies the deity of the humanity of Jesus or, and humanity of Jesus, his virgin birth, his perfect life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, or personal return, it's a bad egg. Don't eat any of it. Amen. Now, the first criteria, he says, is the profession of the divine Lord. In verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. The Gnostics at that time, I've given you all the dear... Uh, the types that were saying some of them believed that Jesus wasn't fully human. He looked human. Some say he wasn't God. Some, you know, all kinds of variations about Jesus. And that's why John's writing this. And the word has come is in the perfect tense indicating that Jesus came as human, God, man, the one mediator between God and man. He said, if they don't, they don't teach that. It's not of God. Serenthus, for example, in that century denied the incarnation, but he did it very subtly. Instead of just coming out and saying, well, you know, all matter is evil and God could not become human because that would make him evil. Therefore, Jesus Christ couldn't possibly be God. Here's what he said instead. Sounds much more noble. He said, there was a Jesus who lived, but the Christ came from heaven when Jesus was baptized and gave Jesus power up until the, the, the crucifixion, and then the Christ left him and went back to heaven. And Jesus was powerful because it was shown by his resurrection. Spiritual counterfeits always use just enough fact and truth to make it sound legitimate. 
Now, folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some names. And I don't want you to think I'm being ugly. I'm passionate about what I believe. But I'm just going to tell you the truth based on their doctrine. I'm not making this up, okay? So I'm not up here badgering anybody, but I want to give you some examples. And I also want to because it seems like we lose more Baptists to cults than any other group. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. He's the firstborn of creation. They said he was the, he's equal to Michael, the archangel. They deny the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they sound good. They're nice people. All these people are nice. So let's just get that out on the table, okay? I've never had any of them show up with fangs and pitchfork and machetes and stuff like that. They're all nice people. I just don't want you to believe their doctrine. There's not a a group that is more family-oriented than the Mormons. And they use terminology like us. God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, Heavenly Father. But they have their own definitions of all of that. You ask them, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And the first article of faith for the Mormons states that they believe in his son, Jesus Christ. But then you ask them, what do you think about Christ? Well, Jesus is a created being, the firstborn spirit child in a long line of children sexually conceived in spirit form by a heavenly father who is the God of the universe. According to them, all people who have ever lived on earth were born first in a spirit form in heaven. In the spirit world, Jesus had a brother named Lucifer. The heavenly father chose Jesus to be the savior of the world, but Lucifer thought he could do it by taking a third of the existing spirits in heaven with him. They became Satan and his demons. Jesus was born of Mary, but he was not conceived by Joseph, nor was he conceived by the Holy Spirit. A heavenly father, God of flesh and bones, had sexual relations with Mary. Mormons believe that Jesus was married, perhaps to as many women as Mary Martha and Mary Magdalene. Jesus had children by all his wives. Jesus became a God through consistent obedience to all the gospel and the law. He is the model or standard of salvation for Mormons. Just as Jesus became a God, all male Mormons can become gods through hard work and obedience to the law. Sorry, ladies, a female Mormon cannot attain godhood. However, she simply goes along for the ride if her husband becomes of God. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, but not God. Christian science teaches that Jesus was a man in tune with the divine consciousness The Baha'i faith believes that Jesus is only one of nine great world manifestations and is not the unique path of salvation. Unitarians believe that Jesus was a good man who was mistakenly deified by his followers. Now, I'm just reading their stuff. I don't dislike them. I just don't believe they're teaching the truth. 
And any system that denigrates Jesus' deity or dishonors his humanity is not of God. And so it can and should be thrown out because if a person or group doesn't get their teachings about Jesus right, nothing else is right either. Charles Charles Spurgeon said, Christ is the sum and substance of theology. Most all historians, Christians or not, recognize that the early Christians believed Jesus was divine. Jesus himself said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. That's one of the reasons that the Jewish people didn't like him, because he had claimed to be God. Another criteria is not only what people say about Jesus, is the possession of the divine life. You are of God. It says in verse four, little children, you've overcome them. Second Peter 1, 4 says, you're partakers of the divine nature. God's spirit lives in you. And a Christian will continue to abide in Christ because the Holy Spirit gives him life. The living, resurrected Jesus lives in us. And you can overcome false teachers because the Holy Spirit is stronger than the devil. Verse 4 says, greater is he that is in you than the knucklehead that's in the world. I put that in there. There's got to be a Greek word for knucklehead somewhere. There's a book entitled Healing the Masculine Soul. Gordon Dalby says that when Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit, he used the Greek word paraclete. Paraclete is a warrior's term. In in those days when a soldier, they always went out in pairs, Greek soldiers. They would fight back to back. So each, other, each of them had each other's back. The person that had your back was called a paraclete. And that's where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit indwells you and he gives you Wisdom. He gives you discernment. He, he says stuff like, this just isn't right, and you know it. But you got to have him. A lot of people don't possess the Holy Spirit. A lot of people had not been saved. 2002, no one was more excited about the homecoming dance than Alexandra Flynn of Fremont, Nebraska. She left home in high spirits, but when she got there, she didn't have her high school ID with her. She couldn't get in. So she went back home to get it. She couldn't find it. So her mother went with her to help get her in, but the man at the door refused her admission without her ID. Didn't matter that she had her tickets in her hand. Didn't matter that she was the student body president. Didn't matter that she played cello in the All-State Orchestra. She was on the honor roll. She was the school's number one cheerleader. She spent hours decorating that gym for that homecoming dance. And by the way, did I mention she was the homecoming queen? (laughs) But she never did get in because she didn't have her ID. A lot of people... (laughs) including some of you or some of you watching us online or some of you seeing us on television probably saying, you know, if I endure that guy for 20 or 30, 40, which seems like 60 minutes, talking about me, if I endure him, maybe I'll get a few points to get me into heaven. I can't preach you into heaven. I'm sorry. You have to have Jesus Christ in your life. 
You possess the divine nature. John moves on to talk about the contrast of secular and spiritual doctrine. You know, a lot of these doctrines look alike, but there's a big difference. Now, I'm going to borrow an illustration from Lee Strobel. Imagine a daughter and her boyfriend are going out for a Coke on a school night. Now, this is how a lot of people interpret the Scripture and a lot of theology that you see taught, even in a lot of religious schools today. He said, imagine this boy, this daughter, and her boyfriend going out to get a Coke on a school night, and her dad says, you must be home before 11. It gets to be 1045, and the two of them are still having a great time. They don't want the evening to end, so they begin to have difficulty interpreting the father's instructions. What did he really mean when he said, you must be home before 11? Did he literally mean us, or was he talking about you in a general sense, like people in general? Was he saying, in effect, as a general rule, people must be home before 11? Or was he just making the observation that generally people are in their homes before 11? I mean, he wasn't very clear, was he? And what did he mean by you must be home before 11? Would a loving father be so adamant and inflexible? He probably means it is a suggestion. I know he loves me, so isn't it implicit that he wants me to have a good time? And if I'm having fun, then he wouldn't want me to end the evening so soon. And what did he mean by you must be home before 11? He didn't specify who's home. Could be anybody's home. Maybe he meant it figuratively. Remember the old saying, home is where the heart is? My heart is right here, so doesn't that mean I'm already home? What did he really mean when he said you must be home before 11? Did he mean in an exact literal sense? Besides, he never specified between 11 p.m. and 11 a.m. And he wasn't really clear on whether he was talking about Central Standard Time or Eastern Standard Time. In fact, in Hawaii, it's only a quarter to seven. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, it's always before 11. Whatever time it is, it's always before the next 11. So with all of these ambiguities, we really can't be sure what he meant at all. If he can't make himself more clear, we certainly can't be held responsible for it. I want to tell you something. My dad said be home for 11. I didn't question it. <laughs> John mentions two kinds of teachers. He said, first of all, there will be the demonic mouthpiece. Oh, that sounds harsh. But he said, you know what? They are of the world. Back in chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, the world is Satan's system. And if they're of the world, they are satanic. Not in the sense that they've got horns and a pitchfork, but they are speaking lies. And he's the father of lies. You go to these people who started these religions, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Mary Baker Eddy, Judge Rutherford, read about them. They didn't live very nice lives. You see, false teachers always accommodate their teaching for the world, they aim at whatever's popular. And every false system has the Bible plus something, or the Bible minus something, or not the Bible at all. And anything minus or plus the Bible is demonic. 
When John uses the word we and us in verse 6, he's referring to the apostles. He's saying you can trust us that God has used to pen these letters in the New Testament. He's saying that all who are truly born of God will accept these writings as authoritative. Or to put it another way, those who truly know God, listen to the word of God. It matters to them. If you have a life application Bible, it says five traits of false teachers. They claim to have new truth other than the Bible, from from some special prophet or some special revelation. They twist Christian doctrine, they undermine scripture, they promote salvation by works, and they undermine the assurance of eternal life by God's grace. John said, you need to listen to a divine mouthpiece, and I don't mean that that person is God speaking, I'm talking about In verse 4, you talk about the source of life. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But in verse 6, the source of the teaching comes from God. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. For he who does not know God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and spirit of error. Now, I'm sure, without a doubt, I'm going to get some mail. And no question in my mind. Because a lot of times people who hate the truth look at truth as hate. And I don't hate anybody. I just am tired of people misleading people. I agree with one great black preacher who said the greatest friend of truth is time because the truth always comes out with time folks if you don't know Jesus you can know him today it's all about Jesus he's the only one worthy he's the only one that can save you He's the only one that dealt with sin. He's the only one that became one of us. He's the only one that was resurrected and has the keys to heaven and hell. He's the only one that could take the sting out of death. And if you don't know him, don't take my word for it. Open up God's word. Nothing I've said today has been a lie, except that I was good looking. (laughs) My wife thinks I am, so that's all that matters. And I don't want any comments about that on Facebook tomorrow. (laughs) But seriously, look at it for yourself. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin and will convince you that this is the truth. And those of you who know Jesus, you know it's true. Would you bow your heads? God, thank you for the truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts and teaches us the truth and lives inside us and is greater than he that is in the world. And Lord, We ask that your spirit would speak to the hearts of people, showing them the truth. 
showing them they need Jesus. I pray they will respond to him. Lord, I pray that you protect your children in this room and watching online and watching by television. I pray you'll protect them from all of the nonsense they're going to hear. That they'll always believe your word is true. I thank you for the people in this room who love the truth. I know there'll be some other people who want to be a part of this place because people here love your word and love Jesus. And I ask you, God, to bring them. I pray for those that need to be baptized like these who profess Jesus today. I pray that you will bring them in Jesus' name.